Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Trashy Divorces. My name is Stacy. Hey, friends. I'm Alicia. Thanks so much for joining us this week on this Broadway episode spectacular. Y'all have wanted these for a long time. We have songs, we have dancing, we have musical numbers, costumes, bright lights, big city, boogie wonderland. No, maybe this time we're finally getting around to this Broadway spectacular from the musical cabaret. This week you're starting off with a multitude of trashy divorces, but a dirty, dirty story. There's there's a lot of dirty, dirty. This is Gwen Verdon, dancer, Bob Fosse, choreographer, director, they were hot and heavy until they weren't, but boy, the beginning of their romance was dirty, dirty, dirty. You have, I mean, does she even need to be introduced? I got an EGOT. I got a goat. I got a goat EGOT. Liza Minnelli. Four time up the aisle, four time down the aisle, four time done with the aisle. Yep. All star. Liza Minnelli. Before we start on this week's episode, Let's take a moment to pull out our bedazzled magic mirror. Yep. Give some shout outs to our newest Patreon supporters who are getting early and ad-free episodes over there. Thank you so much for joining us at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Faith T, Teresa A, Kimberly F and Shelly D, y'all rock. I put my tap shoes on. What needs to happen now? We gotta go, go, go. Oh, Stacy, I am front row and center. Turn on the spotlight, strike the band up. It is Trashy Divorces, Broadway Spectacular this week. Our researcher, Kim, suggested that we call this story All That Trash, so <laughs> it would have been good. Here we go. This one's for all the musical theater nerds in the hizzle and a one and a two. two. This is the story of Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon, two oh. titans of the musical theater field. Bob, of course, was a major force as a choreographer and director on stage and screen. Gwen was one of the most celebrated stage and screen dancers of her era. Both won numerous awards. They had a major collaborative relationship that morphed into a marriage and into parenthood. And then because Bob really liked his dancers, it morphed back into, you know, friendship, co-parenting, and a creative collaboration. This was not the first marriage for either of them. We'll get to that. Both were born of the burlesque tradition in the 1920s and would be two of the most important figures on Broadway by the 1950s and for decades after. We're going to start with Gwen because she's older. Oh. Bob liked older women. Gwyneth Evelyn Verdon joined us on January 13th, 1925 in Culver City, California. Capricorn girl. Okay. The daughter of a dancer with a vaudeville background, that was her mother, and an electrician at MGM, that was her father. When she was a toddler, she suffered from rickets, which caused the bones in her legs to become misshapen. 
This is typically caused by a vitamin D deficiency, and it's pretty uncommon in the U.S. today. Mom turned to what she knew. When Gwen was three years old, mom enrolled her in dance classes to help her strengthen the muscles in her legs. There were also rigid orthopedic boots and such involved. We're going to talk about some medicine in this in the course of this story from back in the day anyway. But, but Gwen's dancing. Gwen's dancing. And by okay. the time she is six years old, she's a professional performer. Oh, wow. Yeah, that worked. <laughs> <laughs> At 11, she was the solo ballerina in a musical film. Then, you know, she hit her teenage years. And as happens, Gwen fell in love or maybe just in lust. But unfortunately, that love lust caused an unintended pregnancy. She was 17. This was with a family friend named James Hennigan. He wrote for The Hollywood Reporter. It was 1942. Her parents sure. were like, Gwen, you're marrying this boy. Like, Oh, no. So no. It was not a happy marriage. It included long absences as he traveled for work. Perhaps there was some excessive drinking on the part of James. Gwen was still dancing during the marriage, raising their son. He was born in 1943. Sometimes she would finish his articles for him, uh, her husband's articles, when he was perhaps... Unable to meet deadline. Oh, that's nice. I mean... When? <laughs> when anyway, when, when? by 1947, she was done with James and matrimony. She had a dream, and she had the talent for it, so she asked her parents to raise her son and headed into showbiz to try to see if she could make a go of it. She started in burlesque, then worked her way into film. It's good to grow up in Culver City if you dream of right. the screen. <laughs> anyway... She was also teaching dance and movement classes to a bunch of people who would become Hollywood elites and several Trashy Divorces alums. Jane Russell, Fernando Lamas, Betty Grable, Lana Turner, Rita Hayworth, Marilyn Monroe. Holy cats. She became the assistant to noted choreographer Jack Cole, who was one of those pain-in-the-ass guys that everyone wants to work for but hates to work for. So her job was pretty much smoothing ruffled feathers with the dancers. She had some small parts in his productions, but, you know, she was destined for more. In 1953, she was cast as the second female lead in Broadway's Can Can, but the first lead, French prima donna Lilo, was furious that Gwen was upstaging her in preview performances. She demanded that Gwen's role be significantly cut, and Gwen was like, I'm quitting. Like, let's get my understudy ready to go. I'm, this sucks. But I guess the understudy was not ready for opening night, so she performed. And like every kid fantasy of what a performance would do happened. She stole the show. Oh my God. It was so well received. The audience rises to their feet and starts chanting her name. The stage manager finally has to go backstage to pull her to the stage to take a bow, but she's she's changing. <laughs> so she comes out in a towel. No. Anyway, she ends up with an extended contract, a nice pay raise, and a Tony Award for her efforts. Well, musical theater joke, I hope. Don't rain on my parade. That is an extraordinary story. (laughs) Right. That is like, I remember as a kid, you know, you dream of performing and that would be the result. Anyway, it happened. It happened to Gwen Verdon. So now that Gwen was a bona fide Broadway star, she was tapped to star in a new musical. Damn Yankees, a follow-up to George Abbott's Tony Award-winning The Pajama Game. Abbott had hired probably a bunch of choreographers, but one 
was an up and up and comer named Bob Fosse working on the show. And Bob, who was very meticulous, but also kind of sleazy, <laughs> wanted to make sure that Gwen was right for the lead. So he scheduled an audition. I don't know the specifics of what he was going to that audition for. Fair. I, I believe it's fair to say that both of them walked away from that audition with much more than either expected. This is where we park, Gwen, at the Trashy Divorces Depot, which today is at a midtown Manhattan rehearsal space in 1955, waiting on a guy with whom she would change the world. Robert Louis Fossey was the fifth of six children born to a Chicago Hershey's chocolate traveling salesman, which... I feel like that sells itself. Am I wrong? I don't know. Were there really people who used to go door-to-door selling Hershey's chocolate? I bet it wasn't door-to-door. I bet it was like a business-to-business. Like he he had the Illinois region, maybe. Who knows? Maybe. We're really living in the wrong time. Where's our <laughs> local chocolate salesman? Knock, knock, knock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So his mother was an Irish-American opera singer. Both parents had aspirations for the showbiz but neither really broke out in the vaudeville world, hence door-to-door chocolate sales. I am just imagining a world where (laughs) door-to-door chocolate sales exist, and I'm a little tingly. It's a good world. (laughs) Is that infrastructure? Okay. So Bob's mother, Sadie, had health problems. For himself, in that brood of six, it was difficult to stand out, so young Bob became the family's good kid, the charming well-mannered one in the midst of his brute siblings. Good attributes to have later in life, though. Uh, Young Bob also had a near-fatal bout of pneumonia early on and childhood asthma. I suspect those two are linked, but anyway. So his mother would not let him play sports. She did like for him to walk his sister to her dance classes at the Chicago Academy of Theater Arts, where young Bob developed a crush on a girl at the school, so he had to start taking dance lessons, too. I got a great idea, Mom. Fortunately, he was super good at it, and the owner of the academy was a showbiz veteran, so like he paired Bob with another exceptional student and basically created a vaudevillian boy band. You're joking. I am not. So the Riff brothers were born, and they began when later Bob's family had trouble paying tuition at the school, so The owner was like, that's cool. I'm booking your son. The Riff Brothers are going on stage. Get ready. So they started playing in clubs, became a significant income stream for the family, in fact. So vaudeville had been in decline because movies had happened and then talkies happened. And so basically, once there were talkies, all the vaudeville stars left for Hollywood. I mean, yeah, I can sit here and play to a crowd of a couple hundred or I can go have a contract for $1,500 a week at, you know, whatever. They're just giving them out over in Hollywood. Yeah, they are. <laughs> so the vaudeville that he walked into was sort of a shadow of its former self, a little seedier, a little rougher. The Riff Brothers would perform after burlesque performers and, you know, not exceptionally talented stand-up comedians. Bob loved it, though. I mean, he was he's in these rundown theaters. He is surrounded by... That's how you learn. People who love the theater. Sure. Eh, uh, unfortunately, a lot of those burlesque dancers were very interested in the handsome young Bob, who was still a high school student. So um, he got his first exposure to sex. He would say later that he felt like his parents really should have intervened 
because he probably wasn't ready. Oh, God. And it kind of left him with mixed feelings about women, let's say. But how were his parents supposed to intervene? I think his thought was that because he was bringing so much money home, that they were sort of turning a blind eye to things that might be happening. Oh, got it. Bob's vaudeville career ended when he (laughs) graduated from high school. He joined the Navy, but that vaudeville experience, that shadow of its former self-experience, think cabaret, like this stuck with him for the rest of his life. Biographer Sam Lawson would say that Bob Fosse was the best thing ever to come out of burlesque and he would pay for it forever. (laughs) That's a great quote. So his Navy experience began in 1945 as World War II was wrapping up. The Navy puts him into a performance role and sends him all over the world to entertain troops who are like waiting for their boat or whatever. He had eloped with a girlfriend before enlisting, but his parents had the marriage annulled before he left. Oh. After his time in the Navy, though, he headed to New York with dreams of becoming the next Fred Astaire. Tappity tap, tap, tap. On a touring production of Call Me Mr., Bob met and fell in love with dancer Marion Niles, wife number, well, I guess two, if you count the annulled. Sure. They married in 1947. After that show wrapped up, they headed back to Manhattan, kept working. I think they had a, a couple's dance thing. that they Anyway, little problem. Busy as he was, Bob was not a faithful husband, ever. That does tend to get in the way. In his life. When he and Marion were cast in a Broadway production of Dance Me a Song, Bob fell in love with another cast member, <sighs> leading lady Joan McCracken. Joan was about a decade older than Bob, born December 31st, 1917, and had risen to fame after the original 1943 production of Oklahoma. She helped to define musical comedy and later starred in dramatic roles on Broadway and television. Now, Marion thought that the affair would end when the show closed, but it did not. Mm. And so they divorced 1951, his first divorce. Little spiderwebby side note about wife number two, Joan McCracken. Her first husband was a dancer named Jack Dunphy. When Jack came home from World War II, Joan Joan had had an affair during World War II. I think there was an airing of grievances, perhaps, or maybe, I don't know, getting honest. But he, you know, not publicly, but he came out to her and he began a relationship with Truman Capote. Right. Oh, my God. That is so, everything is connected. Yep. So Joan and Jack divorced in 1948 and Jack was Truman's partner through his death in 1984. Joan, long known for her uninhibited and freewheeling ways and occasional tantrums, was one of the people who informed Truman's Holly Golightly character Interesting. in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yes, I know you're all Truman Capote. It's a tiny, tiny world. <laughs> okay, so, you know, Bob marries Joan. During this period of his career, he was trying his hand as an actor, not just a dancer. He was apparently exceptional in roles where he was basically playing people just like himself, which I think is something we could all do. However, ask him to do anything else. He just didn't have the range, but he was quite memorable in that milieu. Debbie Reynolds, Trashy Divorces alum, you know, she's, they're all in Hollywood. They're all at the same rehearsals. She recalled Bobby, who was so in love with his own well-endowed self, would come up behind me and press his gift into my backside to no. tease me. Oh, no. She gifted him 
with a jock strap to commemorate their time together. Good for Debbie Reynolds. She's amazing. So even though he wasn't quite landing as an actor, his dance reputation got impaired with choreographer Hermé Pan, along with other choreographers. He did like a 45-second long piece in a movie called Invitation to Dance. He didn't love the process. A movie that he was working on like as an actor at the same time bombed. He was over Hollywood. Walks out. Heads back to Broadway. He had six years left on an MGM contract. Oh, my God. He just mm -hmm. walks. Yeah, he would go on to say, like, those people who told me I'd be a movie star were not telling me the truth. Huh. Mm -hmm. Back in Manhattan, Joan McCracken leaned into the pretense that she didn't care about the affairs that Bob was continuing to have with all and sundry. She also had her own things going on, notably that she had been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes as a young adult. She tried to manage the disease with a low-calorie regimen. Poor woman's a dancer. Like, anyway. Yeah, that's tough. But she had been prone to fainting spells, including on stage for years, which I assume is a result of insulin-induced hypoglycemia and not enough food. She kept all of this to herself for the sake of her career. Hence, they called them fainting spells rather than give the girl a cookie. But by the 1950s, her health was declining precipitously. So I think this gets us back to the Trashy Divorces Depot and that rehearsal space in Manhattan. It's 1955, and the dance solo that Bob needs to know that Gwen will ace is a piece called Whatever Lola Wants. Oh, Lola gets. It's a stylized burlesque piece. There are exacting moments of seduction woven through it. The dance resonated because Gwen had gotten her first stuff after her divorce was burlesque. Like, this was something she could do. And uh, as uh, Fosse biographer Sam Wasson would describe, every wink, every blink, every finger curl was quite obviously the product of weeks of careful experimentation. In time, Gwen's incredulity became enthusiasm. Her enthusiasm gave him confidence, and his confidence inflamed her enthusiasm. Oh, this is going to get trashy. <laughs> it does. They worked on the number for days. They built the dance together. And they also built their dance together. Gwen won the role. That is not all Gwen won. Joan, still Bob's wife, was devastated by this affair. As you can imagine, her declining health was already limiting her ability to work. And later in 1955, she had a serious heart attack, maybe two. While she was recuperating, she developed pneumonia, which kept her hospitalized for, I think, several weeks. Her doctors made clear that dancing was over for her. And on the home front, Bob was fully checked out. He was... Well into his... Making damn Yankees. He was into this affair. Like, he was falling in love with Gwen. Don't, don't misunderstand. But anyway, they divorced in 1959. Joan died in her sleep on November 1st, 1961 oh. from complications from diabetes Bob had married Gwen in April of 1960. I mean, just, he did go to her funeral, but he could not bring himself to go inside the church. Meanwhile, Bob and Gwen catapulting into stardom. Damn Yankees swept the 1956 Tony Awards. Gwen won her second, but her first for best performance for a lead actress. Bob won his first for best choreography. In 1957, he choreographed Doris Day's film version of The Pajama Game. 58, Gwen won her third Tony for New Girl in Town, choreographed by Bob. I mean, this is like... Oh, no, they're 
Legend. One of the most productive partnerships, romantic and professional in, you know. Damn Yankees went to the screen that year in 58. Gwen starred. Bob choreographed. Bob was also Gwen's dance partner in the Mambo piece, Who's Got the Pain? To which I say, Joan has the pain, Bob. Joan Joan has the pain. Has all the pain. Bob would later say that, quote, the happiest times I ever had with Gwen were when we were working together. They stimulated all sorts of things. I think it even affected sex. Oh, God. Put on your jockstrap, dude. (laughs) Debbie Reynolds gave it to you. Okay. As noted, they married April 2, 1960. They were touring with a show called Redhead. Gwen was mixed on whether marriage was absolutely necessary, not having enjoyed it the first time through. But they wanted to have a baby and, you know, it seemed the thing to do. For Gwen, it was a chance to have a life beyond the theater. But for Bob, it was another acting role that he just didn't quite have the range for. Yikes. Actor Leonard Stone would observe, you could see that they really cared about each other. But Bob played the husband. He did it for her. In return, you know, Gwen made a home for their little family of three at their, you know, Central Park West apartment. (laughs) Like, it was a good life they were living. They had parties. They had fabulous friends. I mean, it was... But it was a performance. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. March 24, 1963, their daughter, Nicole, was born. Bob would say, I can't explain it, but she's the perfect love of my life. Well, maybe not the perfect love. Gwen took time off to raise their daughter, but Bob was still working hard. And there were dancers. Oh, so many dancers. Nobody. So Bob's reputation on this side of the ledger is he regularly propositioned and slept with dancers. He would call dancers after auditions to see if they wanted to get dinner. This is actually how his later relationship with Anne Rainking, who came up in our Phil Collins story. Anyway, that's how they got together. So these women basically are coming in for a professional interview. He propositions them and then they don't I know. Have a gift for you. They don't know if the job is contingent on sleeping with him. It's, it's very, terrible. it's very, this, the, as, as labor relations go, this is not good. Anyway. He would call dancers in the middle of the night if he was depressed, if he was feeling sad, lonely. Like, he's one of those guys. He needs to be wearing the jock strap because I want to punch him in the nuts. <laughs> That's terrible. On the other side of the ledger, he could also be incredibly supportive of dancers. He was apparently quite, he was sweet. Like, if he had to cut dancers, he he what, he didn't come at them in a critical way. Like, he tried to leave them feeling better than when he found them. But also maybe he'd slept with them. So I don't know. Okay. He had some career ups and downs in the late 60s. But at a dinner party during this period, he learned that producers were looking for a director for a film version of Cabaret. Oh my. It was a dream come true for him recalling those formative years in decaying theaters with never going to go anywhere performers. The producer was a friend Bob calls him up. Hey, you're hired. Woo. Filming was scheduled to begin in summer 1970. Liza Minnelli would star as Sally Bowles, a nightclub singer so preoccupied with fame that she cannot see Berlin crumbling around her during World War II. Cabaret rehearsed and filmed in and around West Germany. Bob 
demanded authenticity. He had production assistants searching nightclubs for dancers to cast. He stripped sequins off of the 1970 costumes and replaced them with vintage pieces he would find in consignment stores. Wow. Liza struggled with his... He had a vision and she... It was a it was a fight for her, but once they figured out how to work together, like it was, it created real magic. Mm-hmm. You know, Gwen was also there, going to the junk shops, looking for stage decoration, working with dancers in the rehearsal. She gave Liza Bob's vest to wear for the number mine hair. She donated a kimono so that Sally Bowles' character could use it throughout. Cast and crew adored her. She was great on set. <laughs> Meanwhile, Bob is, everything must be the way I say. It was great. But unfortunately, Bob kind of got lost in the flow state of creating all of this, and he fell in love with a translator for the production. Oh, no. He had generally tried to be discreet about his affairs during his time with Gwen, but the cabaret production was so small that there was really no way. Gwen... Uh, headed back to New York City sh- before learning of this to find an authentic-looking gorilla costume. She flew back to Germany with the gorilla head in her lap and nope. walked in on Bob with two <gasps> two nope. other women. Nope. Gwen would later say, I was living like a wife and mother, which was what I really wanted to be, but I was the wrong kind of wife for him. I think Bob outgrew me. Oh, that's awfully generous, Gwen. Bob started writing and he was involved in all kinds of things. And I was so involved with Nicole, I didn't really care if I worked or not. I guess the hardest thing was I was honest with Bob and I admired him. I got sick of not being able to admire him. Mm. Mm-hmm. Cabaret, of course, giant success. Bob won an Oscar for Best Director. Liza Minnelli and Joel Grey won Oscars. The film was awarded for Best Cinematography, Art Direction, Music. The marriage, in all the ways that matter, was over. Bob and Gwen never divorced. And in fact, they remained close collaborators for the rest of his life. I mean, he, again, had a long relationship with Anne Rain King in the 70s, but he still, he directed Gwen on Broadway in her final role there as Roxy Hart in Chicago. She worked with him on all that jazz and dancing in the late 70s. They were constantly in contact. Like, I think they never fell out of love. They just fell out of marriage. Yeah. Yeah. It just changed. So they were, in fact, together during a final collaboration, a 1987 revival of Sweet Charity at the National Theater in Washington, D.C. Gwen Verdon was with her estranged but still husband, when he died of a heart attack on opening night, September 23rd, he was 60. Oh my God. Quite a life, though. Despite the loss, Gwen was nowhere near done. She appeared in the Cotton Club in 84, Cocoon and its sequel in 85 and 88. She had a number of TV credits in the 80s and 90s. Gwen would live until 2000. She died at the age of 75 of a heart attack at her daughter's home in New York. And that night... All the marquee lights on Broadway were dimmed. Dimmed. So despite the truly trashy beginning of their relationship with the, his wife was sick and dying, actually, like Bob could have, I don't know. Anyway, Gwen Verdon and Bob Fosse created art that lasted way beyond their marriage and their lives. 
I feel like this needs a lot of trash cans, <laughs> but they're such entertaining trash cans full of razzmatazz, tap shoes, razzle dazzle. Razzle dazzle them. Clegg lights. That story had everything. It kind of did. Spider webs for days. Oh my God, yes. Ultimate trash candy. That story had everything for not being a trashy breakup. Or a technical trashy divorce. There that were, gets a kind of a special award. I feel like Bob's divorces, though, were in fact quite trashy. Uh, 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 yeah. Spotlight on. Anyway, but I can understand why, you know, he is considered a legend. Also why she is considered a legend. And it's not just the jockstrap. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably mostly the jockstrap. So anyway, that is... Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon. I know we have talked about covering them for ages. Well, we're trying to get the list done of the people you really want to hear about. Stay tuned for the next side of the story yeah. after we hear from our sponsors this week. We're coming back with Liza with a Z, not with an S. Let's be honest. Whether you're back in the office or still in your sweatpants working from home, life's day-to-day responsibilities lack the fun we all want and deserve. If you're looking for a sign to use some of that hard-earned PTO and have some much-needed fun, look no further. FunJet Vacations is a one-stop shop for all your vacation needs. And as leaders in the industry, FunJet Vacations gives you a fast, easy, and fun way to build and book your next vacation with exclusive package deals to all-inclusive resorts in Mexico, Central America, and the Caribbean. For a limited time, our listeners can use promo code FUNJET75, FUNJET75, for $75 off your next FUNJET vacation at Ryu Hotels and Resorts. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly resort or an adults-only getaway, there's a Ryu Hotel and Resort for you. To get started, just go to funjet.com or contact your travel advisor and you'll be out of office in no time. Offer is only valid at funjet.com when booked by October 15th for travel through December 2021. Restrictions apply. You've heard of turn on, tune in, and drop out. Probably not like this. Enter Dipsy an audio app full of short, sexy stories where you can get lost in a world where your pleasure gets top billing. So much of what passes for erotica in the world are products for women's bodies. Dipsy knows that a woman's arousal starts in our brains. Dipsy is a beautifully designed app where you'll find hundreds of well-crafted erotic stories for every taste, including queer and non-binary focused tales. Dipsy's stories are fully soundscaped and immersive, so you feel like you're right there in the thick of things, which is kind of the dream, right? Since you're already a podcast listener, there's no learning curve. Just download the app, create your account, and explore everything from sensual bedtime stories to wellness sessions to soundscapes that can help you relax and drift off to sleep. Dipsy will ask what type of stories you're looking for, how steamy you want them to be, and let you choose some scenario prompts and the rest is between you and your headphones. Whether you're single or have been together for years, Dipsy is the perfect way to add some spice to your life and maybe help you find some new grooves too. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash trashy. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to Dipsy, D-I-P-S-E-A, dipsystories.com slash trashy. Dipsystories.com. Slash trashy. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Hi, this is Rachel Yucatel, and I'm here to invite you to listen to my podcast, Misunderstood with Rachel Yucatel. This podcast delves into the lives of those who have been reduced to a single headline. Each episode will take a closer look at the stories of those who are on a mission to change their narrative. Join me as we uncover the truth behind the misconceptions, shed light on the stories of those who have perhaps been wrongfully portrayed, explore the complexities of the human experience, and celebrate the power of second chances. Who doesn't love a good comeback story? We've all seen the headlines in the news of how someone lost their life in an act of cold-blooded murder. And while it's sad and grabs your attention, most people go on with their day without giving it another thought. But have you ever stopped to think about the life of the person at the center of the news story? They were more than just a headline or a statistic. They were someone's loved one or friend. I'm Mike Morford, and my podcast, The Murder of My Family, dives into some of those stories to help listeners get to know the person who was lost and how their death affected those closest to them. Listen to The Murder of My Family everywhere you listen to podcasts. There are well over 100 episodes to binge on now. There's never a wrong time to take a look at the things that are keeping you from living your best life. And if now is your moment, we recommend BetterHelp. BetterHelp is confidential, convenient, and safe professional counseling with your own licensed therapist. BetterHelp's quick questionnaire matches you with a counselor in under 24 hours. You can message your counselor at any time, even between scheduled phone or video sessions. Not clicking with your counselor? No problem. It's free to change. BetterHelp is available worldwide and offers specialized expertise that may just not be available where you live. It's also more affordable than traditional counseling, and financial aid is available. It's just never been easier to find a licensed professional counselor who specializes in what you're working through. In fact, so many people are using BetterHelp that they are recruiting counselors in all 50 U.S. states. We want you to start living your happiest life today. As a Trashy Divorces listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com trashy. Join more than 1 million people who are taking charge of their mental health. Visit betterhelp.com trashy. Dear listeners, we interrupt your regularly scheduled ad time with a public service announcement from our friends at the Oak Tree Group. September is National Preparedness Month. As explained on ready.gov, National Preparedness Month is an observance each September to raise awareness about the importance of preparing for disasters and emergencies that could happen at any time. The 2021 theme is Prepare to Protect. Preparing for disasters is protecting everyone you love. 
It was started in 2004 by the Federal Emergency Management Agency to encourage Americans to take steps to prepare for emergencies in their homes, businesses, schools, and communities. The ladies at the Oak Tree Group want to help you get financially prepared. Things happen and everyone should have an emergency fund. It is the foundation for any financial plan. If you would like some help getting your financial preparedness plan together, call the women of the Oak Tree Group at 770-319-1700 or visit their website at www.theoaktreegroup.net. Mention this announcement for your free one-hour financial preparedness conversation with the Oak Tree Group. The contact details can be found on www.theoaktreegroup.net. And for those of you who celebrate, happy Cat Month. (laughs) Okay, Alicia, we are going to open a spotlight onto stage left. And their spotlight. Illuminate a new face. Very few performers, my friends, have the natural talent, charisma, or stage presence of Liza Minnelli. I believe this is true. I want to give a big shout out to Melissa O for doing the heavy lift of research on this one. An incredible story. We talked about her mother, Judy Garland, many, many moons ago. Today, we refocus the spotlight. Liza Minnelli, born into show business royalty. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it's no surprise that she is on that rarefied list of EGOT winners. We talked about uh, right. it in your Whoopi Goldberg Whoopi story. Whoopi Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony qualifies you for that. Here's the thing about Liza Minnelli, though. She's the only Academy Award winner whose parents were both Academy Award winners. Wow. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That fascinating? Runs in the family. Liza is enjoying a resurgence of popularity right now and interest. She was heavily featured in the Netflix documentary Halston that came on a few months ago. It was fantastic. We're going to follow up on that this week in Spiderwebs with Liza and Fosse and her abandoned mansion on North Crescent in Beverly Hills. Like, whoa. Is it haunted? No, it was just a... It, it, That's the story for Wednesday. Today, we're talking about Liza Mm -hmm. with a Z, not with an S. Oh, yeah. The wildly talented actress, singer, dancer, daughter of Judy Garland and Vincent Minnelli Mm -hmm. has been in the spotlight literally since her birth in 1946. She has had her fair share of professional ups and downs, as well as many personal ones. Divorced four times. Mm, So close to an all-star Liza. I think we just make Liza an all-star. I think we... You know, that's fine. That's fine. Then the rules just slightly to go ahead and induct her today. Yeah. Well, given her mother's contributions to the form as well. (laughs) She's no stranger to relationship issues, substance abuse issues, family drama issues, or just about any other type of personal or professional issues you can think of. To your point, I think Liza just gets inducted. Having recently celebrated her 75th birthday, Liza Minnelli has outlived many of her counterparts from those wild days at Studio 54 and has had many professional accomplishments. The dreams. This is the stuff dreams are made. Yeah, kind of endless. Liza Minnelli, born on March 12th, 1946. She is a Pisces. She's born in Hollywood, California. Daughter, as mentioned, Judy Garland, Vincent Minnelli, movie star, movie producer. What could go wrong? Welcome, Amago. Liza is going to grow up around Hollywood's elite. There is never a time 
that she is not surrounded by famous movie stars, film studios, powerful directors and producers. She has been in a behind-the-scenes front-row seat literally since her birth. She makes her film debut at three, starring with her mom in the 1949 musical Good Old Summertime, when Liza's six, her parents' divorce in 1951. In 1952, Judy remarries Sidney Luft. There are two half-siblings born during this marriage. In 1954, Vincent remarries as well. There's another half-sister. Now, let me tell you about, oh my God, part of what's coming in Spiderwebs, this mansion that Liza lives in. Vincent feels so bad about the divorce that he will go to the Hollywood studios and have miniature replicas of famous gowns from scenes in movies made for his daughter. Wow. Mm -hmm. Oh, I bet she loved that. She loved it. And friends loved coming over to play with her, Mm -hmm. like Candace Bergen, Mm. who recalls in her memoir going and having all of these amazing costumes that fit kids, as well as Liza's room being customized and made for someone child-size. Oh, wow. She could reach every hanger in her closet. Okay. All the shelves were her size. Like everything was sort of customized. Candace Bergen was really taken by that in the house. Isn't that fascinating? It is. That's some good dadding, gotta say. I mean, weird dadding. Uh, weird momming, weird dadding. There's a lot of imago happening here. By the time Liza's 16, she's moved to New York City on her own to begin her show business career. She's... With mom a lot, and mom's doctors are real worried about Judy, and they tell Liza, hey, uh, Judy's on all this Nembutal, which is fine, and you need to let her take the pills, but before she does, we need you to change out the Nembutal in the pills with sugar. Like, Liza's responsible for her mom's- Yeah, that's not great momming. No. Well, being, they skip out on a lot of hotel bills. Right. There's a lot of- kind of vagabonding around Judy's plan for like a hundred bucks a night. Yeah. And Judy, the the game they play is they just put on everything they could. So it's like Joey and friends. They have on everything they own and they walk out of the hotel and Judy would say, oh, hell, I needed a new wardrobe anyway. Right. By the time 16 hits, Liza's done with this. She'll go to New York. Her first role is in the play Best Foot Forward. It runs for seven months in 1963. Next, though, she's going to appear alongside her mom at the London Palladium. The first show sells out and is such a hit that there's a second night immediately added. This sort of makes her presentation. And what's funny, Liza will say, like, my parents did not necessarily help me along. I always had something to prove because I was this. It wasn't like I got ahead on my name. I had to work harder because of who I was. That actually makes sense. I I think in showbiz, I think if you walk in with a famous name, there is, like, Nick Cage got laughed at when he showed up on set as Nick Mm -hmm. Coppola. Like, oh, you're here trading on your name. Like, you, yeah. People who've actually had to work for it, I'm sure they have no patience for the children of stars who think that they also should be stars. Well, I mean, that's the thing. The shows at the London Palladium are so significant for her professional life. They get... Liza with a Z. Like, mm-hmm. it gets her noticed in a different way that, whoa, this kid's really talented. 
It also changes her personal life. Audiences, number one, do begin to get an estimation of her talent. It will improve and strengthen the relationship with her mom. And it is where our first intersection of the Trashy Divorces Depot arises, where Liza will meet her first husband, Peter Allen, who is a friend of Judy Garland. We're going to come back to Peter Allen in just a second. Australia, I got you. Just hold up. So for the next several years, Liza consistently performs on stage. She amazes audiences with her energy and talent and charisma. She also becomes a fixture on the social scene. Times are tough, though. There's some nights she's sleeping rough in Central Park. Like, not all of everything is really great, but in 1965... I'm sure that was safe. It's not like that period was filled with serial killers. Okay. (laughs) Liza will win her first Tony Award at the age of 19 for Best Leading Actress. In her role in the musical Flora the Red Menace... Flora the Red Menace sounds like it's about periods. (laughs) The predecessor of the vagina monologues. Okay. Uh, Four years later, in 1969, she'll be nominated for an Academy Award for her role in The Sterile Cuckoo. I apologize for not having heard of this, and it's delightful. (laughs) Uh, In 1972, she'll win the Academy Award for her portrayal of Sally Bowles in Cabaret. The next year, 1973, she'll win an Emmy for Outstanding Variety Special for Liza with a Z. Okay. Nominations. Awards continue. Her professional success continues as well. Her personal life as equally eventful, but a little more volatile. <laughs> her marriages, friendships, rumored affairs, issues with drugs and alcohol, and health scares have made her a tabloid standard through the decades. This is true. Along with other recognitions... Liza also shares a dubious one with her mother. They were both married multiple times, two of those marriages being two gay men. I'm not even sure how I'm supposed to react. In addition (laughs) to her four marriages and divorces, Minnelli has also been romantically linked to Martin Scorsese, Desi Arnaz Jr., Scott Baio, Peter Sellers, and... Scott Baio? And Gene Simmons. Wow. Liza Minnelli. It's a fascinating story. All right. On March 3rd, 1967, just before her 21st birthday, Liza Minnelli marries for the first time. The groom is Australian musician and songwriter Peter Allen. Peter will get his first big break as part of the musical duo The Allen Brothers, who were discovered by Judy Garland in 1964. It is Judy who introduces Liza and Peter. Now, Peter Allen has a prolific career in the music industry. He's a successful musician in his own right. He writes several hit songs we all know and love. I Honestly Love You by Olivia Newton-John. Don't Cry Out Loud by Melissa Manchester. Wow. Australia is proud to call Peter Allen their son. And he has a song called I Still Call Australia Home, which Qantas Airlines, which is the national airline (laughs) of Australia, uses in their commercials. And Australians everywhere right now have paused us to sing I Still Call Australia Home. The song's a big deal. Shout out to all of our Aussie listeners. Hey, y'all. Hello. And we have received emails about Peter Allen. I know. People love Peter Allen. Mm -hmm. And I get it. Although the bride is picture perfect in her Victorian-inspired wedding dress, there is trouble, alas, brewing behind the scenes. Before the couple even says I do. A significant and primary cause of that problem 
the bride does not know that Peter Allen is gay. Yeah, that seems like something you might want to disclose before you walk down the aisle (laughs) with somebody. There's a 1996 interview with The Advocate that is cited in the book, David Bowie Made Me Gay, 100 Years of LGBT Music. Manelli speaks about Alan's sexuality. She says, I married Peter and he didn't tell me he was gay. Everyone knew but me. And I found out, well, let me put it this way. I'll never surprise anybody coming home as long as I live. I'll call first, she said. Oh, poor Liza. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, completely understandable that this would cause some marital issues. I would think. I mean, cheating in general. Not did great. Every, didn't anybody decide to pull her aside and be like, hey, babe. I feel like her mom. Let's have an honest conversation. Yeah, I feel like her mom probably had outstanding gaydar. <laughs> I'm surprised this didn't come up. He talks about that her career was taking off. His wasn't. And he just says married life wasn't for her. Her success got in the way. I don't think that was 100% of it, but okay. That's what, that is his counterpoint. Right. Is she's out doing the work, being really successful, making the money, and he's home cooking. And there was some kind of a lot according to him no and we realignment in that right we we have covered that story over and over again over the course of this where yeah if your career successful mm-hmm. yeah if your careers are misaligned it really can take a toll on the relationship yeah. he'll say marriage was not for her also if your sexual orientations are misaligned she will say could also be a problem could be that you're gay so who who can say? Who can say, really? The truth is somewhere in the middle. <laughs> the couple separates for a while in 1969. They finally divorce in 1974 after eight years of marriage. Now, Peter Allen will go on to have a major success by writing the song Arthur's Theme. Hmm. Remember? The best that you can do. <laughs> um, For the movie Arthur. Sure. Which stars Dudley Moore. It does. And Liza Minnelli. Hmm. So... Maybe they didn't part on awful terms. Is that? Oh, I think they stayed. They stayed fine. She. Yeah, this is not. Right. This isn't the last marriage. She (laughs) had a surprise, but things moved on. Okay. Arthur's theme will win an Academy Award for Best Original Song in 1981. Good for him. Oh, how the 80s were so, (laughs) so different. Peter Allen's life and career is also the inspiration for the Broadway hit The Boy from Oz. Hmm. which will star Hugh Jackman as Peter Allen. Hugh Jackman will also win a Tony Award for that portrayal. Hmm. Peter Allen ends up in a very long-term relationship with model Gregory Connell from 1974, from the divorce to Connell's death in 1984. Peter Allen will pass away in June of 1992 from an AIDS-related illness. I think you have to understand how much she loves Peter to get the Halston. Like, Liza is all about compassion and, and like phenomenal mm-hmm. spirit. Marriage. No, that that is always clear. Just when you see clips of her on red carpets and stuff, like she is always on, and she just yeah, she seems always kind and not catty. She's funny though. So well, she is giving to the LGBTQ population. She's been involved since the beginning in the fight against AIDS for equality. Liza, friend to gays and straights mm-hmm. everywhere. Okay. That's only marriage number one. We got yep. marriage number two. Right, coming up. Coming up, Jack Haley Jr. So 1974, 
Liza will again walk down the aisle. Like maybe should have listened to Peter Allen. Marriage is not for her, but she goes for it for the second time. You think she sat down with her girlfriends first and was like, tell me what you think. <laughs> this time to Jack Haley Jr. And although his name, Jack Haley Jr., may not be familiar to us, a lot of us are familiar with some of his work. All of us will know his father, Jack Haley Sr., who is the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. Wait, which is her mom? Liza's mom. mom oh my God. Played Dorothy and Jack's dad played the Tin Man. There's your weird Hollywood. There really is some Imago happening here, isn't there? Now, Haley Jr., the mm-hmm. one she marries, is sure. an award-winning and respected producer and director. Some of his bigger career accomplishments, uh, he won an Emmy for producing the 41st Academy Awards. He wins a Peabody for the documentary series Biography. Hmm. Some of his more notable projects, uh, Life Goes to the Movies and That's Entertainment, will feature Liza. There's an article from The Guardian in 2008 which talks about the relationship between Minnelli and Haley being largely about companionship. Haley was husband number two and straight, but they were friends rather than lovers. Jack was the first one to remind the general public of our heritage. America's royalties is our America's royalty is our entertainers who have given so much to the world. I fell in love with him the first time I met him, and I have loved him with all of my heart ever since. Liza will say when Jack Haley passes in variety. A friendship match, not a love match. This gets us to the third marriage to Mark Jarrow. In 1979, when Liza's 33, she'll marry to Mark Jarrow. His father is the successful Broadway producer, Frank, who works on Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Oleana, and A Steady Rain. Now, compared to her first two marriages... Liza and Mark's relationship kept fairly private. One of the few times their private life was made public is when their Manhattan apartment is featured in 1990 in Architectural Digest. This article will feature a cameo from Liza's good friend, Halston, who will introduce the couple (laughs) to the interior designer, Timothy McDonald. It's all very spider web. According to Vanity Fair, Liza was stressed out about decorating the space with her sculptor husband. (laughs) (laughs) So Halston told her to go out of town and forget about it. And when she got back, the place was finished. We walked in. How do we, how do we hire this guy? Right. We walked into the most beautiful apartment I've ever seen in my life. He had gone to all that trouble and then left so that we could discover it ourselves. This sounds like magic. (laughs) Sadly, Liza will suffer a miscarriage in 1981. Mm. The couple will divorce in 1992. She has a number of miscarriages. She says her greatest regret is not having a child, Mm. but there are numerous attempts and numerous miscarriages and sure, sure, sort of tragedy. All right. Three up, three down. We got one last one. Holy cats. The heart wants what the heart wants. (laughs) At the age of 56, Liza Minnelli decides to try her luck again. I think I remember this one firsthand. At the marriage, marriage bat. Michael Jackson. Oh. introduces her to his friend, producer David Guest. Mm-hmm. This is the one I remember from, you know, Entertainment Tonight. David such. Guest mm-hmm. uh, has produced some TV specials for Jackson. He's had some other successes in the entertainment industry. So David and Liza, 
meet. They begin dating June 2001. He will tell People magazine, I could see that there was a little girl who needed to be loved. I fell for her right away. Within 48 hours, the couple had said, I love you. Okay, well, that's better than I do after 48 hours. Well, after a week, they move in together. Okay. And zoom, zoom. (laughs) Zippity dip. In December 2001, Guest will propose with a 3.5 carat Tiffany diamond. Not all happy news, though. That same month, Liza will relapse with her addiction to alcohol and painkillers and seek treatment. She gets treatment. And she will not cut any corners when planning this fourth wedding. (laughs) The two marry in Manhattan after making the media rounds on talk shows, publicizing their romance and upcoming nuptials. I think this is probably what I recall. Okay. There's probably a few more things in this uh, wedding rich detail next segment. The wedding, $3.5 million is the cost there are fifteen. Just a, just a small wedding. There are fifteen hundred guests. Good God! There's a thirty-six member bridal party. <laughs> I don't know which one to talk about first because they're both so good. Mean. Um, co-best men oh. for David Guest are oh. Michael and Tito Jackson. My God. Her Highness herself, she of the violet eyes, Elizabeth Taylor. Sure, is serving as matron of honor for Liza. <sighs> There are 13 bridesmaids, including Mia Farrow, Janet Lee, singer Maya, Petula Clark, Shaka Khan, and don't leave out the 78-year-old Esther Williams. You know why this went wrong, though? (laughs) Tell Maya, tell me. (laughs) There were 13 bridesmaids, obviously. She was just setting this up for failure from the start. Well, there are 13 groomsmen, too. That's what I'm saying. RJ, Robert Wagner. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) Michael McDonald and James Ingram are included in that number. Liza will wear a Bob Mackie wedding gown. And Natalie Cole will sing Unforgettable as Liza walks down the aisle. Just a normal everyday wedding. Nothing unusual. Let's talk. I can't go through a guest list of 1,500, but let's go ahead and mention a few more famous names in attendance to wish the couple well. Diana Ross, Rosie O'Donnell, Martha Stewart, Joy Behar, Jane Russell. Oh, I love Jane Russell. Anthony Hopkins. D- didn't Jane Russell learn to dance from mm-hmm. Gwen Verdon? Yeah, okay. It's all spiderwebs. Uh, Anthony Hopkins, Kirk Douglas, Michael Douglas. Oh, Elton John. Gotta be well, there. obviously. Diane Sawyer. Sure. Barbara Walters. It was probably the hot ticket. It was probably that year's black and white ball. Gina Lollobrigia. Mm-hmm. Carol Channing. Lauren Bacall. Robert Goulet. Dionne Warwick. David Hasselhoff. Joan Collins. Liam Neeson. So, like, everyone that she's ever met. Yeah, Natasha Richardson. Tony Bennett. Roberta Flack. Wow. Mickey Rooney. And... Donald Trump. Wow. Well. Okay. The New York Post gossip columnist, Cindy Adams, who was one of the bridesmaids, additionally, calls the event the night of 1,000 facelifts. (laughs) 
and likens the guest list to the commissary at 18th Century Fox. That's cold. Lifelong friend of Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney, says this is one of the most thrilling weddings I've ever been to. And that's something because Mickey Rooney, I think, nine times. He's like trashy divorces superstar. Hall of Famer. Well, maybe he just likes that it's not one of his. <laughs> After the couple exchanges their vows, mm-hmm. the View co-host Joy Behar uh-huh. said he sucked her lips right out of her face. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. These are some weird reviews. I'm not Even Donald lie. Trump. It was enough to make him blush. He says, I have been to many weddings and I have never seen a kiss like that before. Okay. Bring back Studio 54, man. Okay, after the wedding, there is a decadent reception held at the Regent Wall Street Hotel, 60-piece orchestra, 54 entertainment acts, including Gloria Gaynor singing I Will Survive, and Andy Williams singing Our Love Is Here To Stay. Good Lord. Spider Savage could not be reached for comment. So... God bless Liza. He's 48. She's 56. They apparently plan to start a family. Guest tells OK Magazine, we're going to spend half the year living in France, just outside Paris, where we will raise our children. We're adopting four children of all races, a black child, a white child. It doesn't matter at all. Liza's going to be the best mother in the world. It all sounds very rosy, very promising, doesn't it? it, Well, I mean... Yes. 16 months later, the mm-hmm. couple will separate in uh-huh. what ends up being a tabloid sensation. Indeed. By the end of 2003, Guest has filed a $10 million lawsuit against Manelli, claiming that she had repeatedly physically abused him. Wow. He will say, she just kept hitting me in the head with her fists over and over and over. The pain was so enormous that I still get now 80 shots around the head to deaden the nerves. I don't know if I'll ever be the same. He will go on. On stage, don't go near her, he says in a 2004 interview. She's the best performer in the world, but when alcohol comes in, start running because there's a demon there and it goes back to her childhood. Liza Minnelli, counterpoint, denies ever abusing David Guest and will file a lawsuit against him claiming he steals money from her. The ugly publicity and the legal battle between the pair last until 2007 when they finalized the divorce and settled the lawsuits. The terms of both the divorce and the settlements are confidential. Well, that's a terrible end. She claims he's trying to poison her. Right? So I think... Something went way wrong there. A little bit like this, like I do about Bernard Lafferty and Doris Duke. Like... I'm not saying David Guest was a walker, but there was something there. I mean, her accusations against him are, he was trying to poison me and was stealing my money. He's like, she beat me up, and which is a real believable thing, but I've got conflicting feelings about a lot of it. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's tricky. So David Guest will win this strange sort of popularity in the UK as a reality television star. He'll appear on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, and Celebrity Big Brother. I think I knew that, yeah. David Guest was found dead at London's Four Seasons in 2016 at the age of 62. 
A representative for Liza Minnelli will tell the New York Daily News that she has no statement on her ex-husband's passing. David Guest, for his part, always publicly claims to be heterosexual. (laughs) Face is very fun, but it seems to have been one of the worst kept secrets in Hollywood that, in fact, no, you're gay. Which is great. Which is fine. Yeah. There, there's be no great. judgment here. Be on great. That. Be gay. For Don't sure. marry who you're not into marrying. Yeah. <sighs> nah, it sounds like there may have been a little ulterior motive going on. In an interview with The Advocate, Eliza was asked why she thinks that she and her mother both married gay men. <laughs> In response, she'll stare at the interviewer blinking for a long moment and then simply say, I have to go to the John. <laughs> uh, oh, goodness. Liza Minnelli uh, has some thoughts about her past marriages and not probably ever future marriage. She will tell Oprah in 2010, I have great taste in directors and in people for costumes. But as far as husbands go, I think I kept changing for them. And then about a year later, I'd think, what am I doing? This isn't really me. So so understandable. Mm-hmm. I've fallen in love with the relationship, not with the person or who I am with you, right? Well, and she was born in a milieu of actors who their job was to... It's always a role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She'll tell Access Hollywood in 2012, If you ever hear I'm getting married, hit me over the head and take me out of there. You try and accommodate because you love someone and nowadays why get married? Nobody else does. It's not like I want to have children. Tried that, and it didn't work, unfortunately. Again, in this advocate piece in 2010, she's asked what she's learned about romance over the years. And she'll answer, I think everybody goes through it, and I think it's absolutely grand when you're going through it, and then you get your head broken, and you get your heart broken, and it's that up and down stuff. And for me, in my life, I'm quite happy it's gone. Now I have my work and my puppies and my home. And that's enough. I did good, it. Yeah, good for you, Liza. In March 2021, Liza marked her 75th birthday at an Actors Fund benefit called A Love Letter to Liza. Many showed up to pay tribute to the star herself. Some of those celebrating were Nathan Lane, Ben Vereen, Barbara Streisand, Carol Burnett, Shirley MacLaine, Joan Collins, Michael Feinstein, and my favorite, Lily Tomlin. Oh, yeah. Despite her many challenges and struggles, Liza Minnelli appears to have beaten the odds. And she's going strong at the age of 75. Her status as a icon is cemented. Living legend. Living legend. Liza Minnelli. As trash cans go, they're all dressed in Halston. <laughs> they look good. They're entertaining as anything to watch. I can't even a, a I guess mean, debate a, a number. Mm-hmm. She's the EGOT of... Trash cans, Liza with a Z. Love her. I dig it. I dig it. I think that's a great way to uh, summarize her. The EGOT of trash cans. That is yet another week of Trashy Divorces. Thanks, y'all, for tuning in Mm -hmm. and listening to us on this Labor Day weekend. We hope you are kicking back and enjoying it. And if you have to go to work, that it's not going terrible. No rest for the trashy around here. Stay tuned. We're coming back on Wednesday with the trashy breakups. Oh, this one's going to be good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I hear he's pretty vain. Mm. Uh Uh-huh. We'll be back on patreon.com 
all week. All week long. Dumpster Dive coming out Monday. Early ad-free episode for that Trashy Breakups on Tuesday. Spiderwebs Wednesday. Ooh, with a wrap on the Liza's Abandoned Mansion and Fosse. That's going to be a lot of fun. And oh, baby, this Thursday for our Trash Candy Connoisseurs, we're launching a new series, The Trashy Victorians. And I am pretty excited about it. I know you are. You can always grab some free candy. Sure. Tell the people the link. It's bit.ly slash trash candy. Just plug that into your browser. And I'm going to load some new stuff up this mm-hmm. week to that. You can check us out at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. And otherwise, we'll friends. S- yeah. Keep your hands clean. Keep their hearts trashy. We'll see you on Wednesday. Yep. Put on your apricot scarves. Razzle dazzle. Razzle dazzle them every day. Bye, everybody. Bye, y'all. Have a great weekend. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at TrashyDivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at TrashyDivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at Patreon.com slash TrashyDivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy y'all.